And welcome back to another episode of Millennial Manhood. This is your host, Yavitz Jurjevic. This week, I've got a special treat for the folks listening. I got my buddy Austin Fable with me. Austin, tell the folks who you are. Yeah, well, first of all, thanks for having me on. It's it's great to be heard. And um, yeah, what a loaded question. I mean, it's such a simple one, but it's it's so deep. So I, Austin Fable, I'm a, I'm a man. I, <laughs> I am a husband. I'm a father uh, as of about a year ago, and and I nerd out over over a ton of things, mainly like a good Netflix TV show. I, I'm fascinated with you know business and life and how to live a better life in general, and, and I think a lot of that's kind of guided my the projects that I'm currently involved with today. <laughs> Austin, how, <laughs> I'm so excited for this. All right, so so here's what I love about you. For everybody listening, when I first started Millennial Manhood. It's pretty nerve wracking to put a podcast out when you've never done it, because who am I to put out something and be like, hey, you should listen to this. So there's a there's a lot of insecurity involved in it. And I remember, dude, you might have been the first person. I'm not sure if you were the first person or one of the first people, but I got a text from you and you were like, bro, what a good idea. This is awesome. And Austin was just gassing me up the whole time. And I was like, you know what? At least one person thinks it's a good idea. So let's uh, let's keep doing it. So I, I appreciate that, good sir. <laughs> At least one person will be listening. Yeah, man. I mean, I I, I support podcasting in, in all of its forms. I mean, I think, you know, today the barrier to entry to get involved in a podcast is so low. I mean, if you've got a message that you want to get out there, you've got something that you want to share with people or something you think is going to help other people or really just entertain anyone, uh, there's really no reason not to get it out there if you have the desire. Of course, if you don't have any like interest in doing any sort of podcasting, then it's no big deal. But you know, there are podcasts out there that have very minimal production that are that are not that are very, very popular. There are some that have a ton of post-production that don't ever really catch on. Um, I think it's really all just kind of comes in the quality of the message and, and, you know, millennial manhood. I think it's, it's such an interesting kind of topic because manhood in general is, is, it seems kind of like something that's pretty simple again, but it's kind of like a moving target in today's society as to like what exact role manhood plays in, in someone's life. And, you know, I hear a lot about toxic masculinity and then, you know, like how does you know, the patriarchy fit into all of these different things? So I think it's really nice to kind of sit down and actually, analyze you know what that word means when it comes to people of the millennial generation of which i am yeah well and you're a millennial and you're a man you're a husband you're a father i mean let's talk about that so you know and i think you and i are either the same age or maybe a year apart but as life has progressed and you got married and then you know you stop being a a old miss you know frat star to husband to (laughs) you know father how has your idea of uh of don't don't think I don't know about the gambling stories in Tunica. <laughs> oh how yeah, is your, man, uh, you got a good memory. Woo! I know, right? Um, how uh, how has that idea of manhood progressed as you um, as you think through those things? Yeah, wow. I mean, it's it's a great question. I some I kind of felt like this convers this like topic would be breached, but it's interesting. I mean, I think manhood in general. You know, I think sometimes people look at it and they say like, Oh, like I go lift weights. Like I beat my chest. I'm like an alpha male. And it's all about, you know, winning and, and always being the best and super competitive. And it's like either all or nothing, your first or your last. And and I just, I don't think that's, that's true. I, I think that does have its place, right? Like when it comes to, to business endeavors, when it comes to things that are, you know, obviously competitions. And when there is kind of like a, an I'm going to win, or you're going to win. Like I'm, I'm definitely very competitive. And I think, you know, 
preparation plays a big role in that and, and pushing yourself to do things that you've never done before and, and learning from your failures. Um, but really, I think manhood, since in the context of being a dad, I have a daughter, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think it's a little bit different when you've got a daughter versus when you have a son. And it was funny because like, I definitely do want a son. I, I'd like to like continue on the fable name. And I thought that was really important until I had a daughter. And now it's like, you know, if I had three girls, I'd be totally fine. I, I think there's just things that as a man, I feel more comfortable doing with a little girl, you know, like I'm, I'm a goofball. Like I can be in a room of like 50 people and I'm like, like, like with my hand on my lips, you know, making noises at her to make her laugh. And I'm not saying that that wouldn't be the same with a boy, but it's just a little bit different. And so when I look at manhood in the context of being a dad to a little girl, I want to raise, I want to be the kind of man that my daughter will look to me and say, I shouldn't accept anyone who's less than what my dad showed me in the ways that I, in the ways that I treat women, in the ways that I treat her and, and, you know, her mom, my wife, but also in the ways that I pursue challenges and the ways that I, I learn from things, right? Like, I think, you know, it, everyone's going to fail and everyone is going to have times where, where things are rough and you're going to go through periods of life where just things aren't perfect. And that's just what it is. That's the beauty of life. But I think a real part of being a man is, is being able to weather these storms in a way that your kids can look to you and be like, you know, that may have not been a great time, or this is something that makes, you know, that everyone feels like they should be nervous, but they can look to you and say, you know, you may have done this wrong, but you learned from it. And like things like discipline, you know, like you might lose your temper and yell at your kid, but like, if you cross a line, do you come back and say like, I love you. I shouldn't have talked to you that way. Um, you know, and, and make amends for it. Really. I, I think that when you push on and you, you always are right and you never accept flaws and you never admit when you've done something, you know, either incorrectly or you've mis misinterpreted a situation. You kind of put up this like wall between you and like other people and being able to recognize their, you know, their emotions and their own flaws by not recognizing yours. And I think I may, I may be getting like a little bit out there right now, but I just think it's so important to kind of teach your kids as a man, whether they be a boy or girl to kind of be the type of person that you want them to be and be able to grow and learn and be able to not put on themselves that they always have to be perfect, but rather failure is something we shouldn't strive for, but should be embraced when it's inevitable and then learn from. So I want to touch on that topic topic that you just mentioned about embracing failure and accepting that, you know, you're essentially not being overly stubborn, which you know, if we look at a, a trope in society, like the stubborn dad has kind of been the uh, a common theme throughout history. Do you feel like guys are just more open to not having to know everything, especially in our generation? I feel like it's it's more of a theme where guys are, are more accepting of the fact like, hey, look, I don't know everything. I'm not perfect. And I'm sure as hell not going to pretend like I'm perfect. Mm-hmm. What do you mean? Like the embracing of like the dad bod and like the, the, the like, you know, um comfortableness not, not kind even, of like the humor of imperfection not even that i'm more so talking about like um it's almost like w- with older generations it was like the stoic father who had to mm. it's like okay i watched uh, it's a wonderful life this christmas season 
Okay. Uh, and anybody who's seen that movie, like the dad blows a gasket towards the end of the movie where he's like trying to hold it together and he just like flips a shit and yells at the kids and tells the girls to stop playing the damn piano. It's Christmas Eve because the because the uh, the building alone is going to go get foreclosed, um, you know, and that's a facade that he's putting up the entire time that just kind of crumbles. And that's why he considers suicide and all these different things, which, again, suicide's a big problem, especially amongst men. Uh, especially in America for some reason. Um, but but I feel like men our age, especially the dads that I've talked to, are more willing to be like, I mean, <laughs> shit, I can't keep yeah. it together 24-7. And that's okay. Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, I think that as – what do you think – so I, first of all, I agree with that. And I think that there is – there's something very comforting – about that not feeling like you have to walk into a room or engage with somebody and just like always be perfect you know everyone can admit we're all human we all have a shared experience like there's not somebody in the world that doesn't experience like little hiccups and so i think by embracing those and saying like yeah it's okay i don't have to like blow my gasket because xyz happened i'm only human it happens to everybody uh it, it makes you more approachable because if you don't admit that you have these little flaws and you are human, then it makes it's harder for other people to interact with you, especially like your kids and different things. Um, but I'm curious, why do you think that is? Cause when like, I totally agree with what you're saying. And I think media is a really good example that reflects that. But what do you think's driving that? Is that like more access to information? Could that possibly be a positive, um, positive, um, sort of component of social media that we like don't really pay attention to like why do you think that's a trend yeah i don't know uh, i've thought about that let's let's take our dad's generation and they were probably a little bit more mellow than their dad's generation actually for sure it's almost as if for for our dads and their dads their relationship was almost on a different plane than the relationships we had with our dads. Like there were, there were a lot more topics that could be breached between us and our fathers. And I'm speaking obviously in gen, in, in generalities, there've always been outliers and, you know, individual relationships to consider, but even like the topic of, you know, talking about sex with your, with your dad, I feel like amongst our generation across the board was, was an easier topic to have than for our dads to have with their dads. And and even if we look at it within like the societal standpoint, like the puritanical American father that, you know, sits there in his uh, loafers and uh, reads the newspaper on the couch and then shut up, kid, go away. Uh, it, it It's almost as if the easier life has gotten because life has gotten easier. If we talk about it purely from a survival standpoint, um, we're not, you know, your average American man is not working in a coal mine. Whereas 50 years ago, you know, I'm an immigrant. My ass would have been working in a coal mine, period, um, as a as a Serbian American immigrant. Um, and, and as life has gotten easier, we're working on computers. We're working from coffee shops. We've got more time. We can interact with our kids. We can go to games, etc. It's almost that as life has gotten easier, it's become less hard. So have we in our interactions with our family members, which I personally think, uh, in a lot of ways, is a is a fantastic. Um, fantastic evolution in society uh it probably has some um downside in the sense that you still need a strong male figure in a family um to provide for certain safety and security especially to smaller children like feeling feeling that safety of a dad um but 
Yeah, that I mean, that's really where my my train of thought is going as I'm thinking through this. Like, it, as we've mellowed out as a society and, and allowed for us to embrace imperfection and embrace relationship uh, with with our children and our our spouses, and it, just in a different way, in a more intimate way, almost. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. I think like I don't know if any of that made sense. No, it makes a lot of sense, and I I think there's I've never heard that before, but it's funny because you know like our parents. So in the United States, think about things that were going on, right? Like, so parents' generation go through like, you know, maybe the 50s, the 60s, like open love, hippie, quote unquote, hippie shit, you know, like all that. And I think that's kind of where like this, like it started, right? Like we started to kind of expand what was acceptable. And I think every generation kind of compounds this. Like I look at kids these days even, and I'm like, you're live streaming right now. Like what, like, what do you like? Why is your camera on? Like, it makes me feel kind of uncomfortable. Right. Whereas like our parents' generation, when they were our age, it's like, I want to go to Woodstock and smoke pot. And you're, and then their parents are like, Oh my gosh, like how in the world? And now pot's legal in States, you know, here. So the envelope is always being pushed. And at least as far as I know, you know, I hear stories of, of like our parents, parents' generation. And there was, you know, there was war. Like a lot of them were, working these manual labor jobs. They were, they were sent to war. They had some involvement in the military. It was extremely common. And then of course, you know, there was Vietnam, but nowadays even it's, it's gotten like less, less and less. And as you mentioned, like there's, you know, there's still a large number of active military, but it's not like a normal traditional part of growing up, you know, it was like you had this experience kind of like the generations before us had the experience of working with their hands. Whereas now, like you said, I mean, you can be working like I have people that I do business with that are in like Thailand sitting at a coffee shop and they just kind of work, you know, when the time zones align, they schedule phone calls when they don't, they're just, they're you know working at like two o'clock my time, but it doesn't affect them at all. You know, they're able to kind of do whatever they want, but it's an interesting look at, you know, life getting easier, being kind of correlated to this, like more openness about failure and feelings and I think it's, it's failures definitely become more tolerated, but people have also learned that failure is a great learning experience. And even when it comes to being like being a dad or even being like a friend and like being able to accept people's imperfections, I don't think it diminishes the, the strength aspect of it. Right. Like this is a, like, I can still fail and I can still, you know, there are things that obviously if you've messed up, you need to acknowledge failure and and be like, you know, I'm wrong. And there are things that are smaller and like little imperfections. But if you, if you show these things to your kids and I, I mean, my kid's one year old, so I don't, you know, have a lot of experience dealing with like completely like, you know, sentient, free thinking, opinion, having children. But I almost feel like it, it makes you more, strong in their eyes and when they have problems they're going to feel more open to coming to you to talk about them and to figure out what to do because which i think shows strength right i think people people come to strength like someone doesn't come and ask for your advice on anything because they think you're weak they don't come and ask your advice because they don't think you know anything they come Hmm. to you and ask advice because they know you're strong. And if you're able to say like, you know, this happened to me and I learned from this, they're going to want to learn from your experiences and your successes and your failures. So in a lot of ways, I think embracing failure as, as a learning opportunity and, and not being afraid to make those failures semi-public when you can 
it's, it shows that you are strong enough to have weathered the storm. And it's like, you know, if you fail and you go away and you don't admit failure and you're gone, well, you're gone. But if you admit failure and like, wow, here's what I learned and I'm going to kick ass next time and I'm not going to do these things. That's when people start asking your advice, which, you know, I think is a pretty strong sign that you're doing something correct in life. Well, and it's such an interesting concept behind the idea of strong. So uh, as you're describing this, I'm thinking through it, you know, what is my idea of like a strong man? And it's not, okay, let me use this just example that came to my head. If you're some meathead who's on the swole train and you're in the gym 24-7, you might be physically strong or you might not even be physically strong. You just look physically strong. But then you crack like an egg under any single like pressure that comes in your life and you you can't control your emotion, your anger, your frustrations, you lash out on other people. You're not strong. Like I don't respect that. Mm-hmm. There's There's nothing about that. I can look at it and be like, okay, cool. You've got some discipline to uh, maintain your body, but you know, it's obviously not translating into other aspects of your life. If you're co- constantly like losing your shit, yeah, that's not strength. Like to me, strength is like being able to control your own thoughts and fears for the benefit of others. You know, when I'll, I'll give an example. So my wife and I just adopted a dog this past weekend and he's the goodest dog of all time. Okay. His name's Harlem. He's awesome. But my my wife was like, yeah, I'm freaking out. Are you not freaking out? I was like, no, not really. Um, and she was like, okay, good. Because uh, when you start freaking out, that's when I know like, oh, crap, I really should be freaking out. And it, it, I don't think it was her like trying to trying to say anything in particular, but it was kind of a compliment to me. It's like, okay, so like you at least believe in me enough to know I'm going to hold it mm-hmm. together for the both of us when when maybe you're feeling some anxiety around something that I'm going to bring it in a little bit more and say, hey, you know, it's going to be okay. We're, I'm going to teach him how to walk on a leash. Like, don't worry about mm-hmm. it. I'll be the mean daddy to this little doggy to teach him some discipline. And then we'll, then we'll play, we'll, we'll play in the park. Okay. Um, so <laughs> so that, that's kind of what's going through my mind. I love it, man. And I, I love the format of this conversation too, because I really do feel like the only thing I'm missing is like a cold beverage in my hand. Um, when you and your wife have these conversations, I'm curious, like, okay, so let me contextualize this. Cause what you just said really like struck a chord with me. So like, I'm, I'm so laid back, like until the house is on fire, I'm like, yeah, it's going to yes. be cool. No reason to worry about it. You know? But then when the house catches on fire, I'm like, oh, shit, the house is on fire. And it's like all of a sudden I go from like zero to 100. But it takes a lot to get me off of zero, right? Whereas like in my relationship, you know, and and it's good like because we play off of one another. Like I could actually probably stand to be a little bit more like concerned about certain things, like jumping in and paying more attention to like small, minute details. And my wife is great with that. so like, you know, I'm the one kind of like you where I'm like, it's going to be totally fine. Don't worry about it. Things are going to be like, it's, it's no big deal. But then there's been times where I've just been wrong, you know, and I'm like, shit, I should have been worried about that. So I think we, it's like, it really helps our relationship to have those kind of like two sides of the coin. Um, and I'm just curious, like, are you always that role? Like, are you always the one that's, that's relaxed or are there certain things that maybe trigger you more? And she's kind of like, yay, bring it down. Like, we're going to be all right. Or is, or is it kind of just like you know, you're always sort of the the calm and she's kind of the the one who looks to you for whether or not she should be freaking out. Mm, I wouldn't say always, but definitely the majority of the time. And I don't even know if that's so much a man woman thing. I think it's just our personalities because mm-hmm. uh, I know plenty of guys who are 
anxious through the roof. Uh, I yeah. totally agree. So, and I don't think, let me make this very clear. My wife's not like neurotic or anything like that. That's yeah. not what I'm talking about. She just, you know, she thinks about things differently than I do. You know, I would say there are definitely instances, especially when it comes to like taking care of family and things like that, where I might put too much pressure on my, on myself. Oh yeah. Um, that might bear down and, and, and cause me to, to crack at moments and she'll bring, like reel me back in and say, it's okay. Like, um, you know, you're doing your best, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but yeah, there's, there's definitely a, of a component of, of, those conversations where it's, you know, you've got to fit the mold of what your family needs of you. Um, but yeah, I'm like you, like the house is shit. The house ain't on fire. What are we worrying about? We'll be all right. And, and, and part of the, part of what I struggle with, um, personally, what, let's take anxiety for an example. Okay. Like anxiety, like clinically diagnosed anxiety. All right. I understand it's real. I fully get it intellectually, I totally understand that it's real. I totally understand people need to be medicated for it. I totally understand people have panic attacks. I totally understand it can be crippling. I have never experienced that in my life, like from early childhood. And I struggle empathizing with people on it. And I feel like such a jerk when people are talking to me about it. Because again, intellectually, I get it. I just don't, I don't get it, if that makes sense. Like, it, mm-hmm. like, personality wise, I just want to be like, just stop worrying. It's okay. Like just chill, like sit down, have a beer or like whatever, just hang out. But I know it doesn't work that way. So, you you know, a lot of times it's, it's figuring out how can I communicate with those people and show empathy to those people and give them what they need in that moment, even though I can't necessarily relate to me, that's, you know, that's a weakness of mine. And that's, that's an area where I could show strength by working to empathize better. So. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, now that I'm thinking about it though, I'm like turning, I'm I'm going back to my comment on the fact that I was like always, you know, the house has to be on fire. And I, I guess upon hearing you talk about like, you know, the family example and even touching on anxiety, I guess that's not entirely true because there are times where, you know, specifically for me around the holidays, like I'm a, I like to run a lot. I like to exercise a lot. And I, I have like a a garment on my wrist, right? It, It monitors my like resting heart rate. And typically I'm around like, like 56, right. Which is like pretty low, but it's like normal for someone who's you know pretty active. But then during the holidays, like in the whole month of December, I was tracking it and my resting was like 89. Hmm. And so it's cause I like get super nervous around like making sure expectations are met with the family, making sure that everyone gets their appropriate amount of time. Once you have a kid that gets even more difficult and making sure that we're like, you know, doing the right things, that everything's going to be okay. And that everyone has a good experience. And I sort of put it on myself to try to plan all of these different like holidays. And for me, there's like five or six of them. Right. So it just becomes a lot. And then it's like, you know, I turn to my wife to kind of like help me navigate those, but I, I basically have like a series of mini anxiety attacks around the holidays. Um, so I think like all that to say is what I mean is like, there, there are certain things I think that I'm super chill about. And there are certain things that like my, my wife is super chill about. And then when I go to talk to people about anxiety or when I'm feeling anxious about something, right. Some things people get anxious about. And I'm like, there's no reason to be worried about this. Like, look, you're going to be fine. It's no big deal. But then I think, you know, stepping out of my own head, there are probably things that I get anxious about that I talk to people. And I know this for a fact, I talk to people about, and they're like, look, man, no matter what you do, December is going to end. No matter what you do, these holidays are going to happen. 
So all you're doing by stressing out about it is just making yourself anxious and it's only affecting you. Mm. And so to go to like the whole empathizing with anxiety thing, like I think I, I share my anxieties with certain people, but I would also say that when someone shares anxiety with you, I think it's important to try to find some way to, even if it's not empathizing to like try and it's hard to try to be what they need because I almost think that shows that they they see you as in a position of strength or in a position of respect because the last thing I'm going to do right is like like you're not going to go to your boss and be like I'm freaking out about Christmas man like what's going on <laughs> here you know like it shows a certain level of like openness and trust and trust in your opinion to say those sorts of things I mean another example would be like you know you would never go to your boss and be like, yeah, that deadline you gave me for that project. I'm not going to hit it. And I'm freaking out, man. Can you call me down? Your boss would be like, no, you need to go get it done. Right. So like, I think that, I think that them, someone coming to you with their anxiety shows like a level of their, them at least having in their head, like, Hey, this person can relate. And this person's got, uh, you know, something that, I want to hear from them that I think is either going to, they're either going to like empathize with me and I'm going to feel like I'm not crazy because they feel the same way. Or, you know, they're going to be able to say something to me or share an experience that may be a past failure with me. That's going to tell, like assure me that I can get through it. Uh, and if neither of those things are true, then that person probably shouldn't be sharing that anxiety with you in the first place, you know, but they may not know that. But it's just interesting because like, I think how much you can empathize with someone's anxiety is probably directly related to your experience with that same anxiety. And I think we all have them, you know, it's just like, do yours match up with someone who happens to be talking to you at that time? Yeah. Like I'll give the example. I remember in college, so people would freak out about tests. And that to me was just the dumbest thing when I was in college. I was like, what? the hell are you freaking out about this over the test is going to come or whether you freak out or not mm -hmm. okay so the like it's an inevitability so why are you freaking out just go study and then prepare yourself for the test mm -hmm. like in my head it was just like this is logic what's wrong with you people yeah um so obviously that's a that's a college example but you know, because I just didn't feel that anxiety. I was like, you know what I'll do? I'll crack open the fucking book and I'm just going to learn what I need to learn to get the grade that I need to grade. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it is what it is on that front. But I do want to change the topic a little bit. Um, you've mentioned about what you do, the involvement you have. What do you do for a living? Tell the folks. <laughs> yeah, I probably should have should have opened up with some of that, but we just jumped right in. So I do I do a couple of things, like a little brief brief history on me. So went to Ole Miss, as you mentioned, and then I, I spent the next four or five years bouncing around the country, went in Texas. I worked for Nestle at the time, went to Texas, did some work on the Walmart account, uh, went to Cincinnati, worked on the Kroger account there. And then started kind of like the, the next chapter of my life. I, I met my wife at a wedding. We were both from the Nashville area, decided we wanted to come back. She was in New York at the time and I was in Cincinnati and we, we came back and I didn't really have much of a plan when I got back, bounced around doing a few things, sold insurance for a hot minute. Uh, my wife fortunately got to work for her same company remotely in Nashville and I was really kind of trying to figure it out. I remember I was terrified. I had like 30 days to figure out what kind of my next chapter was going to be. And so I was doing some consulting work for a company called Fresh Technology, which which is where I work now full time and have for the past four or five years. And um, I was consulting and, and the the 
the CEO uh, and chairman of Fresh Technology, Matt Bodner, had a podcast. And I'd been a huge podcast nerd. Like one of the big things about when I was at Nestle, one of the things that I kind of, you know, along with many other things, like I always kind of wanted to like do something entrepreneurial. I wanted to like start something. And so I would run a lot in the evenings and I would listen to these audio books, you know, like the four hour work week. I listened to that uh, on audio book while running and was just like ingesting these business books. And then I discovered podcasts and it was like, oh, you know, I can spend $25 on a, an audio book or I can literally download like much more detailed content for free. So I jumped in with like Tim Ferriss, everything. So the point being is Matt just started the science of success. This was back at the end of 2015 and I was a listener and we had, there was an episode on meditation and I had like kind of messed around with meditation. It was, it was kind of weird. And I, I promise you, I'm getting to the question of what do I do, but I'm giving you a, probably more context than needed. But there was an episode on meditation and he was running through this framework that he had done and there's like seven steps to it. And the two that are most impactful are, are gratitude. So you spend time, you know, whether you're sitting on the floor, you're sitting in a chair, kind of being alone with your thoughts, you think about gratitude. And I, I found that being able to just even internally express gratitude for all the things that I've got going on in life, for all the people that I know in life was very powerful. But the most powerful thing for me was he dove into a long section about forgiveness and essentially mm. like every day sitting down and going through who you want to forgive and, and who you kind of need to let go of, of some sort of like negative feelings towards. And, and one of the points, a couple of the points that really hit home with me were one is forgiving somebody is really like the most selfish thing you can do, right? Because it benefits you. It's not like you're doing something for someone else. It's not like when you forgive them, they're like sitting there eating a cheeseburger and they look up and they're like, Oh shit, Austin just forgave me for something. That's great. Like no one knows, right? So really, when you when you forgive someone, what you're really doing is you're acknowledging that the feelings were there and you're letting them go. Mm. And so I started trying to do this, right? And it like blew my mind. I was driving down I-40, I remember on the way to go visit my dad for dinner and I like pulled the car over and I was like, yeah, this could be a game changer for me. So Throughout the next like week, I, I sat down and I would start to try to like forgive people. And it's like everything. I mean, Joe, it's things from like this guy that cut me off in traffic. Like, you know, I flicked him off. I hanged him on my horn. Like, I forgive that guy. I hope he wasn't rushing to go visit a loved one in the hospital or something. <laughs> Let that go. But then like I found it was kind of weird. It was like a, it was like a, an ice pick and you would chip at things. So there was also some people that I had not forgiven for things that happened like 10 years ago. And every time this would get brought up or a story would get brought up or this person's name would get brought up, it would immediately like have a, have like a physiological effect on me. Like all of a sudden I'd, I'd be kind of like pissed off. I'd be like, oh yeah, well, you know, that person, yada, yada, yada. And, and like, it would immediately negatively impact my physiology. It would negatively impact the conversation I was having with whoever it was. And it would negatively impact me, but you know who it didn't negatively impact that person. So it's like, why do you even keep doing it? And so I kept chipping away at some of these things that I had been like sitting with for, for years in some instances. And it was funny because I might sit down and be like, yeah, I forgive the guy from traffic. I forgive that guy who didn't pick up his dog shit in my front yard. But then I'd be like, I'm going to forgive this person. And I like, couldn't do it. I'd sit there for a while and I'd be like, you know what? No, like I'm still upset about this. But then I'd sit back down the next day and I'd try again. 
And eventually it got like less and less and less to the point where I wouldn't say a hundred. I, I will admit it's, I haven't gotten through all of it, but like, you know, 99% of people that like have slighted me or something's gone on. I've like totally forgotten about it. And I'm not saying if they called me up tomorrow and were like, Hey man, you want to invest in this or whatever? I'd, I'd be like, yeah, sure. Great. But like, it just doesn't affect me anymore. So all that to say is that like hit me like a ton of bricks. And so then I, I was already doing cons- some, some consulting for fresh. And I asked Matt, I was like, Hey, what's the deal with this podcast? Love to get involved. I'm a big you know podcast junkie. And so I started taking on like some production tasks, so like finding guests, um, looking for sponsors, handling like our PR and, and it really, the podcast took off for a number of reasons and, and did very, very well. And we're continuing this day to interview, you know, we release an episode every Thursday. We've interviewed some pretty big names like Carol Dweck, Robert Cialdini, Charles Duhigg, like a lot of like, you know, best-selling authors and psychology experts and since then, it's it's snowballed. So what we have now is we have a, a company called Moonglow Media Group, where we have got a couple of assets under theirs. We do live intensives. We actually did our first live intensive last week. We had about 15 people come in, and we went through two days of just like crazy exercises and content to help people kind of figure out how they're going to accomplish a 20-year plan, um, how to overcome limiting beliefs, all the way down to like small, tangible things like body language and, and framing in a business conversation. So we do live events, we do the podcast, we've got a bit of like a podcast network where I'll talk to people about, you know, growing their show and how to get started. Um, so that's kind of one bucket. That's the, the media bucket of what I do. And then I'm the director of business development for a company called Fresh Technology, and we do all the back end restaurant technology. So it's a full stack, everything from inventory management, labor management, recipe management to online ordering. Um, and we've even got some things coming out in the next couple of years that are going to really kind of embrace marketing best practices as well and helping get the word out there to the local Facebook users and people in the area about how they can interact with the restaurant, whether that be coming in for, you know, in-store specials or, or uh, 20% off first online order, different things like that, because there's a, there's a pretty big need for two things in the restaurant industry is one, a completely a complete set of products that are all in one place at one time so that you don't have to log in and out. So like log into your people management system, log out, log in your inventory management system, log out. Like having one login to have all these tools at your fingertips. And then the other thing that a lot of smaller organizations haven't cracked is, is marketing. Like how do you use social media to drive people into the store, right? So being able to provide those two solutions among, along with many, many more to restaurants to help them ultimately grow and increase the bottom line. And then that's bucket number two. And then the second bucket, this has kind of come up uh, recently, but we've been doing a lot of talking with folks about uh, monetization consulting, how to take assets, uh, things like email lists, and, and really make sure that you're monetizing them to their fullest capability, how to convert folks on that list to, to paying customers that may have been on there a while, enjoying content, but not pulling the trigger, uh, as well as how to like acquire Facebook groups and how to go and, and see audiences that currently exist and how do you get involved in those audiences that already exist that overlap with what you're doing um, without having to reinvent the wheel, right? Like, so instead of starting a Facebook group at zero and trying to attract people to it, how do you find one that has 2 million likes and 2 million followers and get involved with the curators of that and see how you can't leverage one another's audience to ultimately benefit everybody? Um, so those are kind of like the three, three main aspects of what I do. I, I love what I do every day is, is a new day. Um, no two days are the same. 
by any means. Um, and I get to do a lot of things that I, I really love doing. I mean, none of those three buckets really seem, you know, there are times obviously where there's projects, but they're all things that I really love doing. And they're all things that I, you know, I feel blessed and fortunate to be able to do. And so I plan on doing them as long as I can. I love it, man. Talk about a busy man. I, I do want to go back to the, so you forgave everybody. They're eating the cheeseburger. They're, they're forgiven. <laughs> get into podcasts. You get into podcasts, you get into all these different things. Have you found working? So maybe I'm just projecting my own experience onto you, but have you found working on a podcast kind of in a healing? Uh, it's it's almost like cathartic or something. Like it just, it, it you get these thoughts out and you listen to people and like you solve problems along the way. And it's, and I know you're on the production side. I know Matt does the actual interviews when you guys do the interviews, but it's, it's almost like the self healing process. Yeah, I think I think you're right to a degree. Being on the production side is a little bit different, but I am on every interview. So like even during the conversations, I'm on the line, I'm listening. There's times where I'll jump in and you never hear any of this. We all edit it all out, but audio quality will go out. We'll sometimes occasionally I've had to like ring a guest in from like a, you know, a non-related sort of like rant or um even like, you know, we've had some crazy stuff happen. We had one guy actually answer his cell phone while we were recording and over the course of like five minutes, make plans to go attend a cabaret that evening with some friends. And they were like discussing like, the, you know, whether or not they were going to drink Negronis that night. And then he hung up and he was like, okay, where, where were we? And, you know, I had to jump in and basically be like, excuse me, ex person, you know, like we are going to edit this out. No big deal. But like, if you wouldn't mind, please silencing your cell phone. Um, but back to like, is it like healing? Uh, I think so. And what's kind of cool is, you know, Matt gets to ask the questions, but we work together and we've got a whole team that puts together usually about a half a dozen page packet on all the, the guests prior work. We start to formulate kind of ideas of how we want to take this thing, you know, what angle do we want to come from? And what's really cool is, you know, my main interaction with the guest happens before and after the interview. So before convincing them to come on getting them all the right information they need to get, you know, into the interview, how we connect. And then afterwards, how, you know, giving them access to the link. Uh, we create a couple like custom assets for them. We'll make like, take some headshots and throw some quotes that we liked. And so we provide them with a little bit of like cool imagery for like some, their social media or whatever it might be. But as a huge personal development fan in general, I, I do kind of like geek out a little bit on just being able to be connected to these people directly and be able to kind of like speak with them and work with their teams. It's just the coolest thing. And then, and then to the healing part of it, I think Matt would 100% say yes, uh, having conducted the interviews. And for me too, like there are a lot of times that Matt and I'll be brainstorming questions and it's like, what do I think about this guy's work? You know, like what am I trying to work through in my life right now? And how can I, you know, weave that into the interview to maybe get something that's a little bit more specific to Austin fable, but also is going to help other people. And that's been the coolest thing is, being able to weave those questions in that are kind of like personal asks that you would make if you were having coffee with someone, it, it's, it's very neat because honestly you can get the most famous Ted speaker in the world on your podcast. But if all you do is ask them the same questions they've always been asked, you're not going to get anything new. And therefore, you know, no media outlet's going to pick it up. No one's going to care to really read it or listen to it because unless they've never seen the the Ted talk or whatever they're actually famous for, so what we try to do is when we get someone on who's, you know, really out there in the space, who's already got a considerable following, like what can we ask them that's not been asked before? 
what can we take that's kind of one level beyond the original content? Because, I mean, we've had people on before who essentially just like regurgitated their TED talk. And it's like, mm. how do we how do we navigate that and make sure that we don't do that? And if we're on that train, how do we break up the components of the TED talk and insert little questions and new sort of factors that are going to spin it out of that and open up a whole new can of worms, right? Because in a podcast, you know, in an hour, I mean, you and I have already talked about like at least almost a dozen topics, right? So there's going to be like a dozen different things to touch on in this time. And you need to make sure they're not just what the person is famous for, because I could go grab a book. I could go listen to a TED talk and I can get that exact same content. How do you make what you're putting out in the world unique? And I think that's what's healing or like cathartic about it is, is you can sort of weave your personal asks. It's like people would pay tons of money for an hour with some of these people we've interviewed. And we're just fortunate enough to have an audience large enough to where they'll donate their time. So it's in some ways it's selfish to be like, you know, okay, I'm dealing with this, this, and this, their work, you know, kind of broaches that topic a little bit, but like, I wonder based on their experience, like how they'd handle this problem. And then being able to sort of almost ask them for advice, you know, in the form of a question and it's something brand new. And then what's, what's cool about that is not only do you get to be selfish and ask things that might help you in your own journey, you get to put out content that's not out in the rest of the world, which then makes it more popular. And we've been fortunate enough to have interviews be picked up by like Lifehacker, Forbes, Entrepreneur, uh, because we ask questions that aren't really on the regular beaten path. So then when someone, when we pitch it to someone like that, they're like, oh, this is pretty cool. I've never heard that before. And it, it, you know, sometimes can lead to an article, which can lead to multiple articles, which, you know, gets you those nice little buttons on the website that say featured in X, Y, Z. I love it. Yeah. It's, that's, that's been one of the most interesting approaches about doing podcasting in general is just figuring out, okay, how do I want to approach this conversation? And I worked through that a lot when I was trying to figure out what did I want millennial manhood to be? And, and, you know, the, the route that I decided is like, Hey, I've got three questions ready for every person when they come on Mm -hmm. after those three questions, we better be on some sort of path that we can have a conversation as if we're having a beer. Otherwise this is going to be boring as hell. Um, so it's, it's forced me to be on, be on my toes, but it's also the compliment I've gotten. The number one compliment I've gotten from people that I've interviewed is that was different. You're really good at asking questions. And I'm like, okay, Mm -hmm. I found my niche found uh my one thing as gary keller would say um so it's uh it's interesting hearing somebody else talk about that as well but i know uh i know we're running up on time here so i'm going to make sure i ask the question that i always ask of every single guest that we have austin fable if you could go back to 18 year old austin which sounds terrifying um wide-eyed and bushy-tailed ready to conquer the world knowing all that you know about yourself and knowing all that you know, what's one piece of advice you would give yourself at 18? Yeah, that's a great question. And and I do I do love the show. I think you've got a you got a great voice for this, man. I could listen to you talk all day. Well, thanks, man. Um it's uh, funny too. I mean, I'm thinking back to eight, 18 year old Austin too. I don't know if he'd be bright eyed and bushy tailed. He might be red eyed and a little bit over uh overtired. But I'm trying <laughs> to think um <laughs> yeah, there you go. I think, you know, when I was 18, I was a freshman in college. Well, actually, I was a senior in high school. I'd say dream bigger um, because I think I'm doing things now that I love. 
for about five years of my life, I didn't. Mm. And I think it was largely due to things like not asking the right questions and not taking off my blinders, so to speak. I mean, we live in such an incredible world. We were just talking about podcasting. If I want to start a podcast, there's literally nothing stopping me. I mean, you can, you can, you know, forget editing, whatever. I can put this out in the world if I want to. For a couple hundred bucks, I can build a website and I can start getting a, a blog out there. I can even set up a shop. I think too often people don't, they undervalue their potential and they are willing to take opportunities that are below what they are capable of just because it's the opportunity in front of them right then. And I think it comes back to a lot of things we've touched on. I think it comes back to your pride. It can come back for men to like your manhood. It can come back to your anxiety that maybe this is as good as I can get. And, you know, that it's going to be up to each individual person to assess these opportunities and, and what they mean for you and, and where you are and looking at the mirror and saying, what are my strengths and what are my weaknesses and, and how does that play into where I'm at? But if I could go back and give my 18 year old self advice, I think I'd tell myself to read more. And I think I would tell myself to really do some digging into what I want to do and how I want to go about accomplishing it. And what do I want to put out in the world and then work backwards and figure out how to get there. Because right now, I love podcasting. I love restaurant technology. I love business in general. I love helping people. I love, you know, nerding out over like marketing trends. I love nerding out over mindsets. Like I love to talk to people about these things. And it's all of the things I'm doing right now. Everything I'm doing right now is something that I can sit down and start talking to someone about. And I'll look down at my like phone and it'll have been an hour and a half and I'll have like five missed calls and 20 text messages and it'll feel like five seconds. And I think that's a really good sign that you're doing something that you love is when you can sit down and time literally melts while you're discussing this topic. And I think I'd tell my 18 year old self to really look at these things that I want to do and put in the world and backtrack from there as to how I can get there more quickly. Because I, I loved the, you know, it was great going to Texas and going to Cincinnati and doing all these things. Um, but I think I always kind of had this itch in my heart that knew I could do more. And that even not to say like, oh, I'm better than this, but just to say like, you know, this really isn't me. And, and just because I'm good at it doesn't mean I should do it forever. You know, and I think I'd spend a lot more time trying to think around around what the life I wanted to create for myself was and working backwards. I mean, that's another thing I think just to continue my ramble, like if you know where you want to be, work backwards and figure out what do I need to do every day to get me to where I want to be? What do I need to test? What do I need to learn? What do I need to tweak? What do I need to, who do I need to partner with? What do I need to buy within my budget? What is my budget? You know, like I think, you know, it's, it's in today's world, it's simple to spin things up. And you can try it for six months. If it fails, shut it down. But just keep experimenting and really spend that time kind of evaluating your situation and where you want to go. And I think I think that's the thing too is, you know, I was really, really good at my job at Nestle, but I knew I didn't want to do it forever. But I felt like it was almost like handcuffs because my ego was saying, you know, fixed mindset. Like if I leave here, like I'm great here, right? Yeah, sure. I can tell you exactly what I'm going to be making and what I'm going to be doing in 20 years, but I'm good at it, right? 
um, maybe I'm not as good as I think I am. Like maybe, you know, and these are all things you need to take a look at, but just cause you're really good at something right now doesn't mean you might be better at something later. And you need to be able to have a growth mindset in that to, to be able to say like, you know, I may find new challenges. I should embrace those, you know, like I might face setbacks, but I'm going to have to persist through those. And I think too many people get comfortable in a life where there aren't challenges and there aren't setbacks. And then, you know, you look around one day when you're 80 and you're like, why didn't I ever chase my dreams? No, I, I love it. The Stephen Covey concept, start with the end in mind, you know, working your way backwards. I, I think that was, mm-hmm. that was fantastic. I really enjoyed that answer. Um, you know, as, as we're coming up here towards the end, where can folks uh, get a hold of you? Where can they listen to you? Where can they connect with you? Let the, let the people know how to get a hold of Austin Fable. Absolutely. So I'm on LinkedIn, all the interweb places. Um, let's see. The podcast is called The Science of Success, successpodcast.com. Super pumped we got that URL. Uh, and if anybody wants to reach out to me, I mean, I'll, you know, at the <laughs> at the risk of going crazy, my, my email address is just Austin, A-U-S-T-I-N, Fable, F-A-B-E-L, at gmail.com. And whatever, if you've listened to this and something's resonated with you, whatever you want to jump into, I'd be happy to jump into. And, and if it's something that, you know, deals with podcasting or deals with restaurants or anything else I'm involved in, I can, I can route you appropriately from that, that kind of generic inbox. But I, again, you know, I could talk about this stuff all day. I'd love to do this again down the road if you'd be open to it. And we'll, um, you know, we'll start the conversation there. Awesome. For everybody listening, millennial-manhood.com, millennial-manhood.com, info at mmcip.co if you want to get a hold of us, if you want us to interview people, if you got criticism, keyword constructive criticism, don't just complain, you got to offer a solution. Uh, Outside of that, we will uh, talk to you guys soon. 